Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two on small bowel tumors. And we spoke a little bit about technique before, or a lot about technique, and I went into details about adenocarcinoma and carcinoid tumors. And now look at let's look at gist tumors. Gist tumors are really interesting. They're mesenchymal tumors, and it is one of the tumors that we see more frequently now. They can be small, and when they're small, they're often very vascular and they bleed. They can intersuscept, and they can be large and necrotic. Up to a third of them are malignant, and the typical uh, description, ex, you know, most of them, 70% will be in the stomach. Uh, their uh, malignancy is related to size and on um, pathology, mitosis per high-powered field. Occasionally, they can be familial, but usually they're uh, incidental, uh, isolated occurrences. Symptoms from GI bleeding to palpable mass. Again, size, we do tend to see them smaller now but we do see large masses as well. Obstruction is reported to be rare, and GI bleeding is probably going to be more common. Uh, we talk about them as benign, borderline, or having low or high malignant potential. Key things about them on the PATH side, uh, the vast majority express a mutant form of CKIT or CD117, and CKIT is a growth factor with tyrosine kinase activity. Uh, and it's found in both benign and malignant just tumors. As I mentioned, they can grow extra luminally, and that's typically how we think about them. When we think about stomach just tumors, for example, they're large exophytic masses and occasionally intraluminal. Same thing is probably true with the larger ones in the small bowel. And again, it's interesting, and it's because of this reason they're extraluminal or endal is the fact that they don't obstruct bowel. If they were all inside the lumen, they would be obstructing. And 3D is really good for valuing them. Now, it is one of the diagnoses that can be confused. This patient was sent into pancreatic clinic for a pancreatic mass. And you see a mass which can easily be pancreatic, but it's somewhat homogeneous, but still perhaps it's a neuroendocrine tumor that's not vascular. But you notice there's no intrapatic duct dilatation. Here's the coronal view. And it abuts the portal vein, and the portal vein looks good. And on arterial phase imaging, the arterial vessels look good. There's some vascularity in the mass, but there's no distortion. And here's one more set of vessels. And that was a gist tumor. So gist tumors can be confused with pancreatic masses. On the other spectrum, you can see a case like this with a large left lower quadrant mass, which was a small bowel gist tumor with liver metastasis. Interestingly, gist tumors are one of the tumors that give cystic liver metastasis. We think about ovary and we think about gist tumors as the two most common. And you can see that tumor did have some neovascularity. And here it is again on a coronal view, very nicely showing you the small bowel tumor. Again, you might have thought about adenocarcinoma, but an adenocea that large would have surely obstructed. Lymphoma can be bulky. Perhaps you would consider that, but you got to be thinking about gist tumor. And here's another example. Look at the size of that gist tumor, and you can see the ulceration of the mass. And despite the large size, it's not obstructing. Now, I will admit you could have thought about a mesenteric mass. You could think about lymphoma. You could think about adenocarcinoma. So a number of things you can think about is a solid mass displacement and distortion. That's the classic appearance. Or this case, again, another example of what looks like a pancreatic lesion to me on the axial imaging. Some vascularity. Maybe it's a neuroendocrine. 
And then here it is on the coronal. You can see the mass in the second portion of the duodenum kind of pushing in, and it's somewhat vascular. And again, I gotta be thinking, can this be, it's not gonna be an adenocarcinoma, but perhaps it's going to be a uh, not very vascular neuroendocrine tumor. This was operated on, this was to our surprise, a GIST tumor. Another example, GI bleeding, there's a mass in the proximal small bowel, past ligament of trites. Here it is with MIP, beautiful example of a vascular intraluminal lesion. You might think about carcinoid, but there's no desmoplastic reaction. You could think about metastasis from a renal cell, but the patient has no renal cell. You better be thinking about a GIST tumor. Beautiful example of an intraluminal GIST tumor. And again, the point is they present with GI bleeding. Or this example here, where it's in the wall being exophytic in part, vascular, almost the same exact location as the prior study. And here it is really nicely shown on the 3D rendering with volume rendering and MIP imaging. And you can see very nicely the feeding vessels on the MIP. A very nice example of a gist tumor of the uh, jejunum. Now, sometimes you can be confusing this, not only in that case, but in this case with a neuroendocrine tumor. When you look carefully or quickly, you might say there's a neuroendocrine tumor of the pancreatic head. And then here's the coronal view showing you that mask. Maybe it's coming off the inferior aspect of the pancreas. But the more you look at it, the more you look at the vessels, you really see that it probably is going to be duodenal pushing upward. Maybe it's an unusual neuroendocrine tumor near the ampulla. That's a possibility. Here it is again. And this was at surgery, a gist tumor. So again, sometimes they're very classic and sometimes they are very difficult to diagnose. But again, vascularity is the hallmark. And here's an old scan I have, which shows the lesion intersuscepting in the distal small bowel. And this was a gist tumor leading the intersusception. Uh, that's kind of uncommon. I think it's maybe to me the only example I've seen of a gist tumor intersuscepting and causing bowel obstruction. And when you narrow the window just a bit with a good imagination and a couple of really cool arrows, you can see the one centimeter hypervascular lesion that was a GIST tumor at surgery. Now, another tumor I should mention is lymphoma. Now, lymphoma commonly involves the GI tract. And in descending aorta, descending order, that is, it goes from stomach to small bowel, colon, and then esophagus. These are commonly malt-type tumors. And T-cell lymphomas are particularly prone to bowel wall involvement, ileum and uh, jejunum. And these tumors can be very aggressive and can perforate. When we talk about lymphoma in general of the small bowel, B-cell origin is more common. Distally is more common than proximally because of the increased lymphoid tissue. And it can present in many ways on CT from an infiltrating lesion to aneurysmal dilatation, to nodular filling defects, to an endo-exoenteric form with fistulae. A number of articles have looked at small bowel lymphoma. Here's an article by Thomas. The GI tract is the most common extranodal site in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma with disease at some sites in up to 20% of cases. The appearance can be as in this case where there's a bulky tumor in the proximal bowel that's infiltrated the patient as ascites and you can see the size of the lesion and the encasement, and you could think about it adenocarcinoma. It's not the appearance that's circumferential of a GIST tumor, theoretically metastasis perhaps, 
but you got to be considering lymphoma. Or in this example, where the patient has a mass, patient had chest pain, it was actually done to rule out the section, but there's a mass involving the left atrium and right atrium, nicely shown axially and coronally, and then when we scanned the abdomen, the patient had a mass in the right lower quadrant. And put the two together, mass right lower quadrant involving small bowel, gist tumor, adenocarcinoma, lymphoma, but then it would make some sense with the cardiac lymphoma involving the heart as well as involving the small bowel. And here's that same case very nicely on the coronal views. You can see the central ulceration, this endo-exoenteric type pattern for lymphoma. Now I mentioned lymphoma can be ulcerating. It can be indeed very impressive. B-cell lymphomas can be very large. Look at the lesion in this case. Look at the size of the lesion, the ulcerations. And then as you scan downward, you get a better look. And then you get a good feel of the extent of tumor, the encasement of bowel, the infiltration of bowel, and the ulcerations. Now lymphoma is also one of the things that gives you intersusception, and it's one of the more common things that gives you multiple small bowel intersusceptions in adults. Neoplasms account for about 70% of adult intersusceptions, uh, more common by benign tumors, where intersusceptions of large bowel are caused by malignant tumors, just a good rule. When you think about intersusception, we talk about congenital causes like Meckel's, we talk about tumors, and those are the benign causes like Poots-Jaeger's. And then malignancy, we talk about adenocele, lymphoma, metastasis, and even the functional causes like Crohn's or celiac disease. Just some numbers, and I always like the numbers with intersusception. Malignant tumors cause 30% of intersusceptions in the small bowel and over 50% in the large bowel. Adenocarcinoma is the most common pathology for small bowel intersusceptions. Other causes include lymphoma, sarcomas, and metastasis. And metastasis to the small bowel occur in melanoma, number one, and then lung cancer, number two, but also breast and renal cell. And I would also say that um, when you have multiple intersusceptions, it could be metastasis, but I tend to favor lymphoma. Now, a question always comes up, what about capsule endoscopy? You go back a number of years when capsule endoscopy came along 100% accurate in 100% of cases. CT was going to disappear. Value, clinicians can visualize the entire bowel, not only one loop. Um, one article going back when, talking about how the majority of lesions picked up on capsule endoscopy were missed by conventional imaging. And the fact it not held up over time. I've been on panels with some of the leading uh, endoscopic people doing this capsule, and they'll say CT is a study of choice. If CT is negative, then go on to, endo to this uh, capsule endoscopy. Now, it's especially useful in GI bleeding, but CT is still more accurate, and it can miss lesions because of improper bowel prep, rapid transit time, presence of blood, but also it has this one bad complication, capsule retention or obstruction. So I read this case, small bowel obstruction with a large mesenteric mass, could be a primary tumor metastatic. The patient did have a Merkel cell tumor, so we thought perhaps this is metastatic. And so we told them that, but somehow or other they considered to do a capsule endoscopy, and there's the capsule sitting there very nicely. 
not bothering anybody. But it's going nowhere. So hopefully the tumors will get smaller and the capsule will pass. But you can see the only way this capsule is coming out is going to be surgery. Now, one thing, uh, this case was metastatic disease to small bowel, which kind of gives me a good segue into small bowel metastasis. And mets to small bowel are becoming more frequent as patients are living longer, but it's something we often don't consider. The common sites of metastasis or Melanoma always on the top with lung cancer being number two, but then carcinoid, ovarian cancer, colon, and kidney are up there. The key thing is there's really three types of spread, intraperitoneal spread, hematogenous or direct extension, and they each have a poster child. Intraperitoneal seeding, I'm thinking of mucinous tumors of the ovary, appendix, or colon, the classic being ovary. Hematogenous spread, that's melanoma, breast cancer, lung cancer, and direct extension, that's typically pancreatic. And think about pancreas, pancreatic head tumors invading the duodenum or invading the fourth portion of the duodenum causing obstruction. So it's easier to think of. So a couple examples. Here's a synovial sarcoma, widespread liver metastasis, ascites, abdominal pain. Look at the distended small bowel, but then look carefully. The patient has an intersusception in the right lower quadrant. You see that classic appearance? That's a classic appearance for intersusception. And you can see the proximal dilated bowel. Another example, look at this case. Look at the metastasis to the patient's small bowel. Solid masses that are enhancing. And we've seen this in a number of cases, sarcomas as well as metastatic renal cell carcinomas. Tumors to small bowel that are metastatic can look like primary tumors. If I told you the lesion in the right lower quadrant was lymphoma, you would say, great, large ulcerating mass. But as you look carefully, there's also a mass in the left side of the abdomen. Now you have multiple masses. And yes, you're going to have multifocal lymphoma and multifocal carcinoma. Hard to get multifocal gists, but even harder is to uh, think of those primary tumors as multiple sites of disease. Well, one of the common ones that gives you multiple masses is metastatic, and melanoma is the classic. Here are two large masses, metastatic melanoma. Remember, melanoma also gives you large bilateral adrenal metastasis. So if you see multiple small bowel tumors, you better be thinking about metastatic disease and just a wonderful example of the potential ulceration of these tumors. Or this interesting case of a patient who has dilated intrahepatic ducts, a mass near the porta, and then when you look at the images, you say, oh my goodness, look at this large mass there. Doesn't look like adenocarcinoma. We thought about a neuroendocrine tumor, possibly, but strange, not vascular. Um, it's not a gist tumor. What could it be? Could it be an adenocarcinoma of the small bowel causing obstruction? What is it? Well, this ended up being metastatic melanoma. Humongous mass seen on axial, seen on coronal, seen on 3D, large mass involving the patient's SMV and portal vein, but it's a mass that's causing some ductilitation, but this was a metastatic lesion. So again, metastases we're gonna see more of, and they can have very unusual appearances. So concluding then, CT, dedicated CT studies are excellent for looking at small bowel. We do a good job picking up small bowel pathology even when it's not a dedicated study, but dedicated studies do better, particularly for smaller lesions. CT enterography provides not only for increased lesion detection, but for classification and for planning therapy. 
And of course, we mentioned from the get-go, as with everything we do, scan protocols are so, so critical. If you don't have good protocols, you're going to miss the lesions. As I showed you, these lesions are small, often vascular. Good distension with IV contrast is critical. So again, protocol, how we look at the images, and how we interpret the images are all critical. And with that, I thank everyone for their attention, and have a great rest of the day. See you later. Bye.